0: Hello and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. And today, Maya Banks. Yay! We talk about what new books Maya has on her considerable list of books published. And we also talk about the books that she's reading that might contain crack because she likes a good crack-tastic read as much as anyone else. I do need to warn you, from about 20 minutes, 30 seconds... To 24 minutes 34 seconds. So between 20: 30 and 24: 34 on your mp3 player, however you're listening to this, we do discuss the ending of Kristen Ashley's the will. Well, Jane does. she spoils the hell out of it. So if you don't want to know how it ends or what the big twists is, between 2030 and between 2434 you want to skip that part. If you want to find out then just listen. it's awesome. Anyway, that's the most important thing that I need to tell you. The music that you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is. And speaking of Cracktastic Reads, don't miss J.R. Ward's The King from New American Library, the highly anticipated new book in the number one New York Times bestselling Black Dagger Brotherhood series. And now on with the podcast.
1: One of my most memorable moments with uh maya banks was um i want to say it was like three years ago we had coffee or tea or something at like a rwa convention it was right about the time that digital publishers were like being defrocked from rwa and i remember um Maya had this gorgeous tennis bracelet and it was so sparkly. I like I think I grabbed her wrist and I'm like, "Oh my god." And she's like, "Yeah, that's what digital books can buy you." <laughs> Do you remember that, Maya?
2: Yeah, and well, and did I go on to tell you that it was all of uh $68 cuz it wasn't real? <laughs> oh no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: that was the inside joke at the time because I don't wear real jewelry because I'm terrible about losing it.
1: <laughs> well, it was beautiful, but uh, the fact of the matter is at that time, um, you were so successful, you could have bought about a dozen of those bracelets for real.
2: Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I've never priced one out. I've been too afraid to.
1: <laughs> but the the fact of the matter is, my um, you've been publishing for a long time. When was your first book uh, published?
2: Actually, uh, 2006. June of 2006 was my first um, like ever novel published. That was in digital publishing. and then it just it worked out that I sold to Sam Hain and Berkeley within like two months of each other. But New York publishing being what it was, and they've, they've gotten a little better or speedier about it you know, about getting releases up quicker than like 18 months, you know, back in the day you had to turn in a book like 18 months before it was published or you would contract it anywhere from 18 months to two years. And I actually sold to Berkeley within two months of contracting that first campaign. But my first release uh, wasn't scheduled with Berkeley for 18 months. And it actually worked out that I turned in my book so early that, that's a novelty these days, but I turned in the book so early that they actually, I stole another author's publishing spot who didn't turn in her book on time, and so they moved me from a December release, which would have been exactly 18 months uh, from the time that I contracted it, and they bumped it up to September, so it was like maybe a year and three months, but I sold it to the two publishers at the same time, but did Publishing being so much faster from contract to publication, I was able to build a decent backlist by the time that that first Berkeley book came out, and that was really kind of my whole plan. That's what I wanted to do: was to knuckle down and publish as many stories as I could with Sam Hain before that first Berkeley book hit the shelves, so that you know anybody who wasn't in tune with digital publishing and it being so immediate on the web, if they went to a Barnes and Noble or a Borders back when they were open and found this Maya Banks book from Berkeley and they went to my website, they would be like, oh, how cool. She's got five or six books out. You know, she has a backlist and I was hoping, you know, then the reader would find those other books and vice versa as well. You know, I was hoping that later on when I had more Berkeley books under my belt, that you know, someone finding me online or through Samhain or one of my digital um, stories would then go to my website and find all of these Berkeley books. Um, so it was a very, um, you know, symbiotic relationship, you know, between the two, um, or at least that was the way it worked for me. You know, I wanted my cake and eat it too. I, I didn't want to do one or the other exclusively. I wanted, you know, my toes in both ponds, so to speak.
1: So your first books were they the Coulter books? No, actually the and I call this my guinea pig book because
2: um, I know Jane is very well acquainted with my love of cracktastic category over the top romances and I had written a book a few years before that for no other reason than I wanted to write the story but it didn't fit like anywhere it didn't it was too short to be a single title it was um it didn't fit any of the Harlequin or Silhouette category lines and it was seducing Simon and the book was already written and um I was planning to write the culture book but I wanted to use seducing Simon as my guinea pig to see if like Sam Payne was batshit crazy or if they were somebody I wanted to work with or how they were to work with or if they tried to steal my firstborn child you know, or anything like that. So that was my test book that I sent them and then they contracted it. And that was, you know, kind of, you know, like I said, my test to see how it worked out with with them and how well the process went. And so after that book released in June, then I released the first Coulter book uh, the following October. Um, And that was a book that was never supposed to be a series. It was just supposed to be one book and I didn't actually write sequel for four years.
1: So I'm at your website and <laughs> the difference between the original Simon seducing Simon cover and the one right oh now my is God. hilarious.
2: Does he not look like he has a corn cob stuck up his ass? <laughs> he has that pinched goose look. Like somebody <laughs> walked up behind him and like goosed him. I've always hated that cover.
0: I remember when you placed an ad with me years ago. Years and years and years ago. And you sent me the cover and it was this guy had had pecs. They were the biggest, roundest, most juicy pectorals and I had to shade them out because when I zoomed in on them it looked like he was at least a B cup. Like they looked like oh. breasts. Was it? Was that the one with the chest hair, like the actual chest hair?
2: Like my only cover ever to have a hair on with chest hair, You know, you had the big abs and you could actually see the chest hair? Or is that the one you had to do the nipple camouflage on?
0: Oh, it was the one I had to do the nipple, nipple camouflage. I'm looking yeah. at the
1: darkest hour because the darkest hour has the really big – man boobs
0: yeah the real smooth baby
2: baby soft man boobs
0: (laughs) yes baby soft man boobs all the way although as I'm looking at your covers
1: Unbroken the guy on Unbroken has really plump I think he's more chesty than I am Uh, yeah
2: he's probably chestier than a a lot of women out there which is (laughs) kind of frightening
1: I have to tell you in your KGI series you have twins yep and I always thought that they should be in a threesome. I, I you know, I knew James.
2: I knew James going bring this up because,
1: <laughs> like, from the very first time
2: I read the book, she emailed me and was like, "I have to tell you, I was so disappointed because I was waiting for, you know." I was waiting for them to break out with a menage, you know. You have Nathan, Joe, and then then the heroine, you know, Shay. Because they all
1: spoke to each other telepathically. I know.
2: I'm like, Jane, really? I'm like, you know, I get that, you know, you're a sick, twisted individual, and this is, you know, (laughs) really your secret desire here, but I'm like, you know, that's for the culture series.
1: I think you. Know, the problem is, Maya, Maya, is that I had read other Maya Banks books. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so you spe- were
2: expecting the worst naturally. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have to admit, one of my favorite stories by Maya is Pillow Talk, which is um, what would you say? What, what's the name for that?
2: Uh, well, you know, what's funny. And, you know, I'm not, like, trying to, you know, take credit that isn't mine. But I swear to you, if I could find the term before I coined it, I I haven't seen it. Okay, but back when, when I published Coulter's Woman, I came up with the tag for Sam Hain to use Minaj Akatsa. And nobody else was using it at the time. And now... Now you have like whatever the French name for a dozen is. I mean, <laughs> what will we? What was it on Twitter last week? We were talking about the the oxen, or it was I don't know. It was like uh, some ranch with cow shifters, and it was like oh. eight of them or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: I remember that one. That was a uh, that was a Siren book. And um, wait, the- wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. That's a real book. Yes. Yes, oh, sweet, yes. yes, holy yes. Moses. Because
1: I remember Reader
2: Lily was traumatized <laughs> on Twitter. I mean, I, I don't think we could coax her out for like <laughs> three days or so because <laughs> um, Jennifer RNN, Jennifer Porter on Twitter, she's, I mean, she's like me. She's a crack addict, and she, you know, the more over-the-top ridiculous, the better. And so anytime you need a crack, Recommendation: You go to Jennifer. She's right. like the internet supplier of crack. <laughs> she can—I mean, she can come up with the most. And and half the times I answer her, her tweets as, "Huh? Are you serious?" There's really a book, you know, for that. And she's like, "Yeah, I'm not joking." And then she'll she'll send me a quote, and then I have to spend the next hour bleaching my eyeball.
0: <laughs> so, have you considered writing book. Barnyard Menage?
2: No that's probably one of the few things I haven't considered writing at this point, but I can honestly say inspiration just hasn't struck yet. And so, so here I await.
1: Well, this book, um, if it's the same one, now it could be, I think that this author has gone on to write other books. So Jennifer RNN could have read a different one than I did, but this one, I remember the heroine gets amnesia, which is another one of your favorites, Maya. Oh, absolutely. um, and so she's on a cliff and she walks on this cliff to the edge of the bull shifter property where she sees them and they see her and um, it's so like... Are they grazing? Are they some grazing? Some of them are grazing. Some of ah, them are. Okay. Because some okay. of them are... I remember that um, like in their real life they are in their non-shifter life, they handle other animals. Like animals that are like bulls, but that don't shift. Oh, okay, okay. So
2: wait a minute. Do they do they own like the stud farm where they sell the semen, and do they collect the specimens themselves?
1: I, no, I don't remember that.
2: that. That's the only way to make it more perfect.
1: But they did. They did ride them, which I thought was a little odd. Um, ah, okay. And, and sometimes, you know, they're in their bull shifter because they shift into actual bulls and then they talk to each other like one of them is supposed to be like herding the herd
2: (laughs) oh my god i'm 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 picturing like this adult cartoon (laughs) with little bubbles above the the you know cattle out you know hey isn't she a hot babe who gets her tonight you know
1: Okay. Well, I, the the head of the family, the oldest, um, is the one who decides who gets her. <laughs> that oh, okay. up the time. Okay. Well, I, I guess wish that's I remembered that book. It's not. It's.
2: I mean, Lily would know if you when we get off the phone, just tweet Lily. She'll know it. this is really sad, but I think I remember. I think the heroine's name is Scarlet.
1: Yes, it's the same book. Then.
2: Yeah, I haven't actually read the book, but I feel like I have because (laughs) Jennifer and Lily talked about it so much on Twitter. I got the whole synopsis, you know, on a Twitter feed.
1: I wish I remembered the name of it now. I'm I'm on Siren because I'm positive it's a Siren published book. Maybe if you do a search for
2: Scarlet because I'm almost positive that's the heroine's name.
1: Yeah, because there's some joke about um, her wearing red. And I said in my review of this book that I saw oh, on MythBusters that uh, bulls are not or are not excited by the color red. Oh, okay.
2: So apparently, you were getting all scientific with this review.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yes.
2: I think of the community service you're doing, Jane.
1: I know. You're, I edu- like... you're
2: educating us on you know mythical bull facts.
1: But you know, I think that Jennifer RNN has really taken up that that mantle that i've left behind
2: oh i look forward every day she's she's tweeting something that has at least 15 people on her twitter feed going what the
1: fuck (laughs) and then when you know when she doesn't like it it's a bad sign oh yeah because she i mean she's kind of like me she'll
2: read anything once
1: (laughs) so have you read something cracktastic that you'd recommend Oh, not lately.
2: You know, cuz the last really cracktastic things that I read were the the Kristen Ashley books way back in the day. I mean, I say way back in the day, but I mean, it was like a year or two ago, I guess. Um that I read those, but and I've been wanting like every once in a while I'll get on Twitter and I'll say, "Okay, come on guys. I want something totally cracktastic. You know, the more over the top unrealistic unbelievable the better and see i'm also a big fan of mary sue heroines i love to read them you know where she goes out by a creek and calls the birds to her and is singing <laughs> the sound of music and you know you and, must have they're loved, hard to find. you
1: must have loved the uh, Kristen ashley um golden dynasty then i you know
2: that's actually one series of hers i have not read i just i don't know it's something about the blurb the blurbs that just i haven't wanted to read them
1: Maya, there is no more Mary Sue character than the heroine in Golden Dynasty. She literally shits flowers.
2: Ah! Okay, well, I'll have to I'll take your word for it. I'll have to check it out cuz <laughs> I I That's one thing Lily and I, you know, we swear we share a brain because we've only had one book and I I can't remember the title, so don't ask me for it. We've only had one book that we ever disagreed on ever. Um, and we both love Mary Sue heroines.
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't think it gets more Mary Sue than that, right? The cheat. All right, yes, I'm making a middle note now. <laughs> but I'm surprised you don't read more New Adult because I find that to be pretty cracktastic.
2: Well, you know why? And it's and I actually only overcame this prejudice for Kristen Ashley only because I didn't realize it going in until I was already there. but i I just don't like first-person books. Oh. And I know that sounds stupid, but I just can't get into them. And I really don't like first-person sexing. Uh, that's just, like, too grossly involved. I-, I like a little distance. You know, for especially, like, an erotic romance, I really don't want to hear a first-person account of gushing and fluids and stuff that sounds like, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and stuff. <laughs> I think I can handle it from a narrator's. You know, perspective, but not so much I, I, I.
1: Well, then that would eliminate like 99.9% of new adult books. Exactly. That's why I haven't, I don't think I've read a single new
2: adult book. Um, a couple of years ago before new adult became the thing, and it was still called YA, and I can't even remember her name <laughs> or the title, but I read a book and it was I think the hero was maybe 19 or 20, and the heroine was, like, a bad girl, you know, uh, kind of a rebel. That was before they became, like, all the in thing. And, like I said, I came with the name was of Was that, that Jennifer book. Probably,
1: Eccles' book, and the hero yes,
2: was yes, a— Yes, 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 it was Jennifer Eccles. And the hero read, was a
1: police officer?
2: Yes, that's the one. How did you, how did you pull that from going it was a YA— <laughs> I don't good know. God. That's scary, but yes, that was the one that I read, and that's probably I think that's the only Y A or N A book I've read in my entire life.
1: Really? So, like, you haven't read the Hunger Games or anything like that? Nope. Because the first person.
2: Well, I didn't even know that the if the Hunger Games were first person or not, but I just I'm a I'm a literary snob. I only read romance. I mean, it literally has to be like over-the-top, swoon-worthy romance. I, I don't read anything else. I don't broaden my horizons beyond that.
1: You read and enjoy Kristen Ashley.
2: Yes. Some more than others. You know, it's it's. I'd say I'm probably 50-50 on hers. It was like I would swap. I'd read one that I really loved and then one that I didn't hate but it wasn't as good as the last one. Then I'd pick up and read another good one and, you know, back and forth that way.
1: I really like the will that's coming out. And, um, the heroine is quite a bit of a Mary Sue. Uh, Oh,
2: awesome. I'll have to, I'll have to email her, um, editor. Cause you know, I'm not above, you know, emailing an editor out of the blue and, and saying, Hey, you know, can I have an ARC of this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it comes, it's self published. So you'll have to email her. It's coming out next Monday or Tuesday. And it features an older couple. They're in their 40s. And it's very, I don't know, I just like everything that I love about Kristen Ashley was in that book. And it's very long. I felt very satisfied at the end of it. I was trying to sell some readers on it. But there's a little problem with the hero, and I think some readers might have it. Well, you issue. know
2: you have to give me spoilers. I know. Just go ahead and announce your spoiler alert and tell everybody who's going to listen to the podcast. Hit the
0: mute button now, proceed for 15 seconds, and then you, you got to tell me. You can't hold out on me. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The next 30 to 45 seconds are a spoiler. You've been warned. Mute now. Mute now. All right. And now spoilers. All right. So the hero has been married three times.
1: Oh, wow. I know this is going to be a trigger for some people, but it made a lot of sense to me because he got married really young because his girlfriend got pregnant. So he thought that was the right thing to do. And he had two kids with them. Then he had um, another woman in between. And that was a very short marriage. And then he had a third marriage because he got another woman pregnant. I can't remember if he he got pregnant, they got pregnant before he got married or after they got married, but he's got three kids, two of them from one mom and one of them from another. Well, you
2: know, and that's a, That's kind of like, I won't say Hallmark, because it's not in every single one of Chris, but a recurring theme in Kristen Ashley's books is the incorporation of the hero having children. Not so much the heroine. Remember, uh, was it Mystery
1: Man? Yeah, Tack has two kids. No, 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 no. That was Motorcycle Man. Oh.
2: The one who uh, was was using her to get information on her ex-husband. And, you know, he has the... The evil ex-wife who neglects their two children, and she ends up being the Mary Sue mom and, and cooks them pancakes for breakfast and makes them cupcakes. Oh. You know, she owns a bakery, and she's like, you know, she was kind of a Mary Sue, but she was a, in her 40s heroine, and the hero had children. In several of her books, the hero has children, and they're incorporated into the story.
1: I don't remember that, but that heroine reminds me a lot of the heroine in The Will. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, because she um, makes some food and stuff like that. But the hero is like this former boxer, still boxes. So there's some boxing scenes, pretty hot after um, boxing locker room scene. The heroine is this uh, personal assistant to a world famous photographer. And so she's met, Hundreds of famous people and has quite a few friends who are famous and there's quite a few men in her life that have Would have liked to have pursued something um, More deeper or deeper with her, but she's always been kind of oblivious. That's kind of where I think the Mary Sue issue comes in. Yeah, yeah But I really liked it and um, I, I like how it plays out and so here's the big spoiler for you Maya.
2: Oh, awesome.
1: The big spoiler is so the will part comes in because her grandmother, um, who's kind of raised her, uh, leaves her um, the house, this beautiful house, and then in the will she says, "I'm leaving you to Jake," and she she doesn't understand the the heroine doesn't understand this, but she tries to get to know Jake and his family because that was what his her grandmother would have wanted and she also doesn't understand why she's never met him before because her grandmother has known this family for like seven years. So finally you learn at the end that the reason that they never met was because Jake didn't want to meet her because she was always looking so polished and um, you know all of her pictures were with famous people and she looked she had a very um, extravagant fancy life and he was just a you know, so he
2: felt unworthy.
1: Yeah, I felt unworthy, and he was embarrassed. He was had three marriages, three kids. He wasn't super well off. Owns a strip club, and just felt like he would never be good enough for her. And he had fallen in love with a picture of her, and felt like you know didn't just wanted to hold on to that fantasy instead of being turned down by her.
2: Eh, sounds like there's like little bits and glimpses of several of her books you know all he needed all he needs to do to have part of night in it is just for him to like offer a little prostitution on the side with a strip club
1: <laughs> when there's none of that he doesn't run a prostitution ring He's, he doesn't approve of that uh, okay
2: discerning taste then
1: yeah so as peddler
2: of women but not of sex or not a smut purveyor
1: right right and he takes care of his girls, just like that. Of course. Of course. Of course. But I thought that was kind of a different kind of ending and made it a little more poignant. Well, you know what's funny about Kristen Ashley is she she has a lot
2: of the cliches that supposedly drive romance land crazy, but you don't care because they're still so fun anyway. Because, I mean, look at a Rock Chick series that, you know, was the epitome of the sex. The Uh, sassy gay friend because there were several sassy gay friends but she still made them you know you didn't feel like you were reading a cliche it was fun
1: let's talk about your books (laughs) because i feel like every uh podcast is a christian ashley podcast uh oops (laughs) um you have you're on your second set of trilogies and since that book came out ah yes
2: we followed up the Sweet series, which is actually six books, and then we did the Breathless trilogy, and then just released first book in the Surrender trilogy in February, and the second one actually comes out I think a month from today, so to be the first Tuesday of May.
1: And you're very much of the Nora Roberts school of writing, which is you view it as your job, and so you write every day regardless of what you feel like doing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it is a job. I, you know, if I sat around
2: waiting for artistic inspiration, I mean, I'd still be sitting here. I mean, I'm kind of fond of saying I am my own damn muse. And I always say that if I'm not working or producing, it's one of two reasons. One, I'm just being lazy or two, there's something wrong with the story. And in the case of B, if I know I'm not being lazy and unmotivated, then I go back and figure out where I kind of veered off the track. And then once I fix that, to failing after that.
1: So, is it a do you have a writing goal of how many minutes you're going to write every day or how many words you're going to write every day?
2: Yeah, I do it by word count. I try to get at least 5,000 words a day. And I know that that has to be the average because it's not possible seven days a week with, you know, cause my daughter's very active in, um, travel ball and we're usually at a tournament, um, every weekend she gets like two months off December and January. And then the rest of the year, she's pretty much playing. Um, and then I have an older son in, in college and I have, um, my middle son is in high school and, you know, he's, we're always going in 14 different directions. So I try to average, knowing that some days I'll only get two to 3,000, while other days I might get seven or 8,000. But, and people, and I actually get this more from other authors rather than readers, because readers don't give a shit about how you do it. They just want the end result, they want a book. And authors tend to be more highbrow about it and say, well, you can't possibly write a quality book in, you know, four weeks. Well, if you're writing 5,000 words a day and let's say you write a 100,000-word manuscript, guess what? That only takes you 20 days. I mean, it's not undoable.
0: I once heard an author put down her own book because she'd written it in six weeks and there was no way it could be any good. And I was like, but a whole lot of readers... Thought it was awesome. So listen to that. Yeah, and well, and here's the
2: thing, you know, I edit as I go. I you know, I know a lot of authors are uh, and great that it works for them, but I would melt the fuck down. If I got to the end of a book or a hundred and you know, a hundred thousand plus words and then had to face a complete rewrite of the entire book, I would slit my wrist. So I edit as I go. And every single day, I start my writing session by reading whatever I wrote the previous day. And I do not continue on until I have edited, fixed any issues, rewritten a scene here or there. And it's much more manageable for me to do it on a couple of chapters basis rather than just puking up garbage onto a page and then fixing it in the end. And so the result is when I do get to the end of the book, I'm pretty much a one draft writer because I've already edited this thing to death as I go along. So when I reach the end, you know, I do go back over it. I read it over it again. I smooth it out. You know, I make tweaks here and there, change this, change that. But it's not, I'm not rewriting you know, 20 chapters are half of a book because I I fix it as I go. And that's the only way I can keep my sanity because, you know, like I said, if I had to to face a complete overhaul of a book once I finished it, I would be in a fetal position under my desk (laughs) and you'd never find me
0: again. Plus, the more you use those muscles in your brain, so to speak, the stronger they get. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I don't care how many books you've written writing is a habit yep and even when I finish a book I cannot you know I like to take a few well-deserved days off but if I take any more than that I get out of the habit of writing and it's that much harder for me to start a new book because the other thing is every time I finish a book and I read back through it I am never quite sure how I managed to do that I'm like holy shit, this isn't half bad. How did I do that? And then I'm sitting here facing page one, chapter one, word one of a brand new 100,000 word manuscript. And I'm like, I'll never do it again. I'll never be able to duplicate, you know, the last book. And so I have this, you know, procrastination war with myself where I don't want to start on it because it's so overwhelming. And I just have to make myself sit down and write. I mean, that's the only way I know to do it is just to stay in the habit of doing it so that I, you know, because if I ever took two weeks off, it, it would probably take me six more weeks after that just to, to drag myself kicking and screaming back into the
1: habit of writing again.
0: It's like working out.
1: So yep. w- do you have a favorite book? Is it the book you just finished or the book you're working no, on? Or no, no, is there no, a- And
2: I know authors who will tell you um, if you ask them what their favorite book is, they're like, "Oh, they're all I couldn't possibly choose." And some of my books depend on my mood, like you know, because every once in a while, if you have two interviews that were done a year apart, I may say different books are my favorite, but it's just because at that time, that was what I was in the mood for. But like my favorite book of the KGI series, I have three. That I love more than the others. I love them all, but I really love these three books. But if I had to pick one favorite, it would be the fourth one, Whispers in the Dark. And then the second favorite is tied between the very first one, um, The Darkest Hour, and then Shades of Grey. I loved Shades of Grey because I love, you know, PJ's character in in that series. And I just literally couldn't wait to write her story. And I, I love you know, her story. And then some of my other favorites are actually some of my more obscure, um, shorter, older, you know, titles. Um, like, I love my Falcon Mercenary Group series, and I only wrote two books um, in it because that was an old Sam Haines series, and I'm no longer writing for them, but I loved that series. It was very, it, it was a different kind of book because my characters were almost like anti-heroes or anti-heroines in a sense that they were, you know, pot smoking, alcohol drinking, you know, basically mercenary for hire. They weren't like the Captain America's that the KGI series, these people would literally, their loyalties lined up along whoever was paying them to the to, to do the job. And they left the judging and the morality to whoever was hiring them. And I, I, I don't know. I love, anti-heroes though i i love anti-heroes and mary Sue's heroines don't you think that makes an awesome combination
1: so are you gonna write more of those
2: probably not I can't see me ever having time to with just my current just like right now I'm scheduled out to like 2016 and I just don't ever see me having time to go back to a series that was started years ago and then picking back up where it left off
1: Well, what about those archetypes you foresee yourself writing? Because I think that's kind of popular right now, the ambivalent hero, the...
2: Actually, well, I have one in my TGI series. He's... uh, With the release of the next one in June, he will have made three appearances in the series. And he's one of these very nebulous characters. You don't really know. He's not all bad, but he's not all good anyway his name is Hancock and he first made his appearance in um Echoes at Dawn and then he made another appearance in um after the uh no 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 Forged in Steel and then he's going to make another um kind of a a different appearance in Swanee's book which releases in June it's kind of a readers didn't see this coming type of twist and from the very first book Now, I always knew that I wanted to write a story for him, but even from the very first book, I had readers emailing me going, oh my gosh, I know I'm probably not supposed to like Hancock, but I'm really intrigued. Is there any way you would consider doing a story for him? And I'm like, well, actually, I do have plans to write a story for him because I love antiheroes. And the storyline that I have in mind for him doesn't exactly shed him in the most positive light in the beginning. I mean, he's, he's not like... an outright just caricature of a villain but neither is he obviously a good guy either he's definitely got some you know gray areas there and so I'm really kind of looking forward to just kind of allowing myself free reign with that story because I think it's gonna be a ton of fun
1: so what do you think readers why do you think readers are intrigued by Hancock and and those types of characters well I think it's because
2: um well look at look at the stake of you know you were talking about we were talking about new adult and even though I don't read new adult I am familiar enough with like the conversation going on around me to know that a lot of these heroes are apparently like borderline bad guys and you know I think there's something about a redeemable character that that makes them appealing to readers because even, um, I would say Hancock's most, um, the role he played probably that casting in the worst light was in the first book. But even then toward the end, you got the impression that there was more to him and that it wasn't quite all as bad as You know, and I kind of left that as a question mark in that book. And then when he made another appearance in Forged in Steel, you got to see a little more depth to him that time, too. And you really saw that he wasn't completely evil either and that he did some things to protect the heroine, even though you weren't necessarily expecting that out of him. And then, like I said, in the next story, you know, it's really going to be interesting the the connection or the relationship he has to that story and you really get to see him on a more human level in that story. So I think by the time I get to his story, readers will have a pretty good idea that he's not completely bad, but he's not Captain American either. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna do a one eighty in his character and suddenly having see the light, you know, and be saved and, you know, be nice, I guess, you know, or have like this 100% I must do the right thing because the right thing to him is what he considers the right thing, not necessarily what anybody else would consider the right thing. He kind of has his own, you know, moral code that he follows. And it's not necessarily what everybody else would think is moral.
1: You just have a book coming up. You just had a book release called Let It Go, which I, which I call the frozen book because of the title. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and but no it's not um disney fan fiction and then uh, giving in comes out in may 2014 and yep. i think you said that these books were more emotional than your not more emotional but more they're about-
2: relationship books they're right. not usually and i'll be the first to say that i prefer writing books with That it's heavier on external conflict than internal conflict because I like to have the hero and heroine working together and I like, I like to see them on a page together and being together and falling in love and working together against a common obstacle. But in these books, I kind of venture into new territory for me in that there's not a lot of external conflict. It's their relationship books and in all three instances, they're relationship books and they're focused more on internal conflict and they focus more on the emotional aspects of the whole dominance and submission, you know, submission thing instead of like the more physical aspects of let me tie you up and spank you and, you know, that sort of thing. It's just, it, it explores a different facet of that relationship that I haven't found Explored so much in other books,
1: and then the last one of that trilogy comes out in August. Yes. And then what do you have on, in Then what do you have going on after that?
2: Um, I have a new series with Avon that's releasing. The first one is in October, and then the second one's in January, and the third one is in March. And that's like um, a brand new contemporary. It's not erotic romance. It's like contemporary romance with like psychic elements, like the heroines have different, you know, abilities, but it's very real, real world. It's not a paranormal. It's set today, real world, but what if a person had this ability?
1: So there's some supra normal activity? <laughs> I mean, what... Yes. Yeah.
2: Like in the first book, uh, you know, the woman is, she has a history of helping locate. Kidnap victims or missing, you know, missing persons, because she, you know, she has a psychic ability that enables her to, I guess, find this person through an office that belonged to them. And then each book, you know, it'll be contained within this series, but the heroines, I'm obsessed with like, instead of a tortured hero, I like a tortured heroine. I've written like maybe two shifter books ever, but in my books, the females are the shifters instead of, you know, the stereotypical way is for the male to be the alpha shifter. And I preferred to go with the the focus to be on the heroines. And that's the same way with the series. I'm focusing, you know, the psychic ability on the heroine and the heroes are like the completely normal, you know, all-American guy or protector or cop or, you know, whatever, you know, he happens to be.
0: And that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Maya and I want to thank her for her time and all of the things that she told us about because I thought that was really cool. I hope the spoiler did not make you irate and angry and that you were able to tune out and tune back in at the right time. And if that totally sucked and you don't ever want us to do that again, you can tell us about it. You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 201-371-DBSA. Don't forget to give us your name and where you're calling from so we can include your message in an upcoming podcast or you can talk to us on facebook at facebook.com slash dbsa podcast and depending on what facebook's algorithm is doing maybe other human beings will see what we write it's all an experiment at facebook at this point the music that you're listening to is provided by sassy outwater this is duncan chisholm the song is called running the cross and it is available on his album afric you can find this album online in various places including amazon and itunes And I will have links to all of the locations where you can buy this song and others in the entry that accompanies the podcast. And now a word from our sponsor. Don't miss J.R. Ward's The King from New American Library. This is the highly anticipated new book in the number one New York Times bestselling Black Dagger Brotherhood series. And this book returns to Wrath and Beth, the hero and heroine from book one. Future podcasts that we have in the planning stages include more interviews. I am developing one mother of a quiz for Jane and we're also getting ready to go to rt and i'm going to try to hog tie and interview authors um as long as i can run in heels and catch them actually jane is way better at running in heels so she can do the running and the capturing and i will do the sitting and the interviewing it'll be totally awesome for everyone involved we promise if there's an author listening to this they're going to be like i'm not going near her during rt if you have any ideas of someone you'd really like us to track down hogtie and interview or just interview without the hog tying, Email us and let us know. We have many, many suggestions, but we would like to know who you would like to hear from too. Wherever you are this weekend, if you're celebrating Easter, happy Easter. If you're celebrating Passover, I raise my matzah to you. And if you're not celebrating any particular holiday, but it's an awesome weekend, I hope you enjoy your time. And wherever you are, Jane and I, and Maya, wish you the very best of reading. Thank you for listening.